Hey listeners, welcome to UPSC Happy Hour with me, your host Achna. Today in this, uh, we are going to learn or begin Indian polity in the podcast. So as part of this, we are going to start off the first lesson that is historical background of Indian constitution. So many a times, uh, this is what generally happens with the students that they uh, begin uh, when they begin learning about Indian polity, especially from uh, Lakshmi Kant, I should say that. They start off with the historical background, uh, you know, as a formal uh, understanding of the lesson or the age-old uh, tradition they follow, like uh, starting off with the lesson number one, lesson number two. Uh, like this, they do begin this. But uh, I should say that if you want to know about the historical background of Indian constitution or if you want to understand it better, compulsory you must understood or you must have read the modern India or Indian history or Indian freedom movement. Those, uh, uh, you know, listeners who already have an idea about what happened in the Indian freedom movement will be very uh, easily, uh, you know, can walk through this lesson that is historical background of Indian constitution. So even here, I would like to give a disclaimer that for the, all those students or all those listeners who want to understand the historical background of Indian constitution, please first try to understand what happened in India's freedom movement and then try to listen to this lesson, then it would be easy for you. So let's begin the lesson. So it's known that Britishers came to India in 1600 as traders, you know, uh, in the form of this East Indian Company. And East India Company was uh, like a private company uh, under UK. And this company, it has taken up a charter or permission from Queen Elizabeth I. Okay, so this private company, it has taken permission from Queen Elizabeth I and with that permission, they have come to India to do trading. So in 1765, uh, you know, this company, this East India company, which was a private company, was just hanging out as a business company, you know, right from 1600 to 1765, they were just like a trading company. But from 1765, there is a change in the thought of the company and they want to, you know, improve their trading or they want to improve their trading network in India. So to do that, they need to get certain rights. You know, they need to have certain rights because they are just traders. Being a trader, they cannot have more rights. So they want to get that rights and uh, they try to get that trading rights in India from the local kings called as Diwani. The trade rights are nothing but called as Diwani. These Diwani or this Diwani rights are nothing but rights over the revenue and civil justice. Please understand how strategically uh, the East India Company has moved in. They start off, they began as uh, traders and then they started to obtain this Diwani rights that is rights over revenue and civil justice of Bengal. Civil justice. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, the thing is, again, the another strategic move of the Britishers is they've chosen areas like Bengal, Bihar and Orissa to obtain the Diwani rights. You should get a question. Why only these areas? Please understand. These are the most fertile areas and uh, to be honest, they were the very rich areas and so they want to have Diwani rights over these rich areas only. Now again a question. Why only these areas are rich? Because please understand the alluvial soil, uh, you know, the, uh, the presence of uh, Ganga River, the fertility, all these matters, you know, leads to the rich, uh, you know, you know, the richness of that particular area. So likewise, uh, from 1765, the company started, you know, uh, gaining this territorial power over India, not just as a traders, but with the Diwani rights also. Now, 
this continued you know from 1765 this continued till 1858 when we had a sipai mutiny uh, against a british power or the british crown and then there was a change in the governance uh, you know in india by the britishers after 1858 there was a change in governance because of the sipai mutiny now this change after uh, 1858 continued till august 1947 august 15 1947 that is where we got independence and we drafted our own constitution and we have come up with our own constitution and uh, we formed a constituent assembly we adopted the constitution and we declared india as a you know republic from jan 26 1950 all this we need to understand as part of this lesson so the first chapter of the indian uh, constitution that is historical background of indian constitution will help you out in understanding how the indian constitution has evolved in phases for convenience i divide this phases into three i i i divide the spaces into three the first phase is being right from 1765 to 19 sorry 1765 to 1857 and 1858 to 1947 and the post 1947 these are the three phases which we are going to discuss and the first phase right from 1765 to 1858 what or 1857 what happened in india this is what this is what we are going to uh, you know dig deep uh, uh, in this uh, lesson and the period right from 1773 to 1858 we call it as a company rule and from 1858 to 1947 we call it as a crown rule so don't get confused again i repeat 1773 to 1858 we call it as a company rule uh, and 1858 to 1947 we call it as a crown rule company rule why you call it as a company rule because east india company is the company which obtained uh, the permission to do trading in india again i repeat east india company is a just private company like any other private company and uh, from 1773 to 1858 india was under the control of this private company and from 1858 the power got transformed from the company to the queen or to the crown so that is where the direct british rule begins that is right from 1858 so we are going to discuss about these two phases in this uh, you know uh, audio section or i should say in this podcast so let's begin with the company rule that is right from 1773 to 1858 now when the company rule began in 1773 to 1858 and when they have obtained the diwani rights in 1765 if you remember i told you so they want to balance you know the power they want to improve the, i won't say the improve they want to do the governance for their convenience so to do this governance they need certain rules and regulations that is where the first step for governance by the britishers or i should say the, the governance by a private company british private company has begun in india with regulating act in 1773 this regulating act 1773 is the first step for the evolution of indian constitution as we know that indian constitution didn't evolve in a day or in a night or in an year the evolution can be traced back you know to the regulating act 1773 means these regulating acts are you know are references for our constitutional makers to prepare the indian constitution so let's know about the regulating act 1773 now this particular regulating act 1773 is having a great constitutional importance you know because it's the first step taken by the british government to control and regulate the affairs of east india company in india 
and you know under this regulating act only for the first time the political and administrative functions of the company were recognized you know what are the political functions and what are the administrative functions were recognized and also this particular act you know the regulating act 1773 laid foundation for central administration in india this is where the central administration has begun in india now this regulating act 1773 also you know called or designated the governor of a bengal as governor general of bengal please remember so until 1773 there was a head to the bengal who is called as governor of bengal now he is been transferred as a governor general of bengal and under him an executive council of four members were created to help him to assist him in doing the governance the first such governor general was lord van hasings so please understand the first governor general was lord van hasings and he is the last governor of bengal as well since as the governor general of bengal he was the last governor of bengal as well because we know that the governor of bengal governor of bengal was named or uh, you know reformed as a governor general of bengal so lord van hasings will be the last governor of the bengal as well as the first governor general of the bengal now under this particular act you know they made the governance of uh, bombay and madras presidency so for those who don't know those who are the beginners you need to understand that during the britishers time india was uh, you know divided into three presidencies uh, we have a uh, bengal presidency we uh, sorry four presidencies uh, bengal presidency bombay presidency madras presidency and as well as north for northwest frontier presidency likewise we have four presidencies so these four presidencies are what the uh, what it need to understand is the the top one was made as the governor general of bengal means uh, he will be the main guy for our administration in india under the british rule under him you know the governors of the bombay and madras were made as a subordinates so the governor uh, the governors of bombay and the governor of madras are like subordinates to the governor general of bengal you know earlier these governor generals or the, the governor generals of these three presidencies like bombay madras and you know bengal were independent but with this regulating act they made the governors of bombay and madras to be the subordinate to the governor general of bengal in the sense is governor general of bengal will be taking all the decisions uh, whatever his decisions are there that need to be implemented even in bombay and madras this is what you have to understand and the third important point is uh, you know this regulating act you know 1773 has provided for setting up a supreme court you know for setting up a supreme court in british india and that too at calcutta it is a logic it, you need not uh, mug up uh, this point because it's a quite logical uh, you know uh, and obvious event because the governor general of bengal is made as a supreme commander so obviously the supreme court would be at the main uh, main place only so obviously it is calcutta 1774 and this uh, you know establishment of supreme court comprises one chief justice and three judges please remember in 1774 when supreme court was set up at calcutta there was only one chief justice and three other judges and the second one you know this particular regulating act 1773 has prohibited the servants of the company from engaging in any private trader or accepting presents from the natives you know, what do you mean by the sea you have to understand that he those who those who all came to india as part of east india company again i repeat i told you east india company is a private company this east india company has come to india 
you know to do the trade so it will have some employees these employees they have come to india and apart from doing their job in the company they started even doing side business in india side business matlab what they were doing is they were doing agriculture you know indigo cultivation and they were purchasing all the spices from india and they started selling off them in the british so these guys the private company employees not only they were doing the job of the east india company they were doing a side business they were doing trade and they were accepting bribes from the native rulers and they started you know earning so much of money so this was actually prohibited by the company by regulating act 1773 it means you need to understand that from 1600 to 1773 whatever the opportunity was there everything was uh, uh, utilized by the you know employees of uh, east india company and uh, they have sold the spices all the spices and whatever is available in india they sold them at uk and they earned 10 20 times more what they have spent over india so many many guys they want to or many uh, you know uh, the many uk guys want to travel to india as part of the company because they got to see the wealth they got to see everyone with wealth so they want to have that wealth and that's the reason many of them every year used to come as part of a job under the east india company rule so this you know bribery was also prohibited under this particular regulating act 1773 and uh, the other important point is um, the british government with this regulating act 1773 started to control you know the company started to control the company you know uh, more powerfully by uh, setting up the court of directors uh, who will uh, report all the revenue matters civil matters and military matters in india so british government it started to control uh, this court of directors because please understand for every company you will have board of directors like right so likewise uh, the same way the east india company was having court of directors and these people they started you know these the court of directors were being controlled by the british government to report on its revenue civil and military matters in india i hope you understood this the regulating act 1773 please stay tuned for the next acts and i would be continuing the next parts as well thank you Hey listeners, welcome back to UPSC Hack Me, your host Archana. In this episode, we are going to discuss the next act under the lesson Historical Evolution of Indian Constitution. The name of the act which we are going to discuss now is Amending Act 1781. In the previous episode, we discussed about Regulating Act 1773 and this is going to be continuous for that episode that is Amending Act 1781. So though the 1773 regulating act was formulated and was you know implemented there were certain defects in this regulating act in 1773 and so the british parliament thought they need to you know overcome those defects and for that the british parliament has passed this amending act 1781 which is also known as act of settlement again i repeat i'm amending act 1781 is called as act of settlement and what are the main features of this particular act is it is you know been exempted the governor general and the council from the jurisdiction of supreme court means whatever acts they do whatever the acts they are done by them as part of their official duty you cannot approach the court for the judicial review so the governor general and the council both of them were exempted from the supreme court 
you know review for the acts they do as part of their official jobs also not just the governor general and the council even the servants of the company were also you know exempted from the supreme court for their official actions this is very very weird you know even you making uh, the servants also to uh, get exempted now this point you can find out even today in our indian constitution because the president or prime minister they are been exempted from judicial review for the actions they do as I mean for the decisions they take part as part of their official actions even today we have this characteristic so that particular point you can find it out in this uh, you know act 1781 you can find it out in this you know amending act 1781 which is also called as act of settlement the second feature is this particular amending act 1781 excluded you know the revenue matters and the matters uh, related to the collection of revenue from the jurisdiction of supreme court means even the revenue matters whatever the actions they are going to do or whatever decisions they are going to take for the collection of revenue those actions are also being exempted from the supreme court uh, review and also this uh, amending act uh, 1781 has provided that supreme court will have jurisdiction over all the inhabitants of the kakata and also it uh, also required the court to administer the personal law of the defendants means the supreme court was made to administer even the personal law as well that is uh, hindus need to be trailed according to the hindu law muslim laws will be trailed according to the mohammedan law so there is a difference uh, in trailing also as per this amending act 1781 and also uh, you know uh, whatever the appeals would be there from the lower courts that is the provincial courts uh, those appeals will be taken to the governor general of council but not to the supreme court you have to understand this point over here usually now in today's uh, life you know if you have an appeal from high court that would be going to the supreme court right so those who feel they were they didn't they were not served the justice under under high courts all the high court appeals will be going going to the supreme court but here you need to understand that they made it where very very clear cut that ki whatever the appeals comes from the provisional courts they would not be going to the supreme court instead they would be taken to the governor general and council which is very different again and also this particular you know amending act 1781 has empowered the governor general and council to frame the regulations for the provincial courts and councils so it's not the supreme court who is going to frame up the rules for the provincial courts and the councils instead it was the governor general and council who would be framing all the rules and regulations for provincial courts and councils if you compare it for today's world the courts rules and regulations would be framed by the supreme court we know that point but here you need to understand that it's not the supreme court that was empowered it was the governor general and council that was empowered to uh, you know the regulate the rules regarding the provincial courts and councils now for some of you who don't remember what is this governor general council governor general in council if you remember i told you in the regulating act 1773 we had the governor of bengal termed as a governor general of bengal and for him a council is been set up if you remember executive council of four members that executive council is nothing but this governor general council right so those four people who were assisting the governor general of bengal that particular council is empowered to frame the rules uh, related to the you know provincial courts and the other councils uh, and also whatever the appeals are from the lower courts would be there that instead of going to the supreme court that would be approaching the governor general in council this is what is about uh, 
you know the amending act 1781 stay tuned in the next episodes we'll be coming up with the next regulating acts as well thank you Hey listeners, welcome to UPSC Happy Hour with me, your host Archana. In this episode, we are going to discuss about Fit Fits India's Act 1784. This episode is going to be continuous to the previous episode where we have discussed about regulating Act and as well as amending Act 1781. So, Fits India Act 1784 is introduced by then British Prime Minister Pitt and for the administration convenience in India. So what are the main features of this particular act under this act you know uh, the commercial and the political functions of the company were separated if you remember we discussed it that east india company uh, was there and uh, they used to manage the revenue functions commercial functions and political functions right so according to this particular act the commercial and political functions were separated so they were no longer controlled by one body or one uh, group it would be separated now as per this uh, the pitts act made the court of directors which are part of the company you know to manage the commercial affairs and also it enabled to create a separate body called as board of control to manage the political affairs so political affairs was managed by board of control and commercial affairs are managed by court of directors so uh, we should say that it has created a double government you know commercial affairs again by court of directors again i repeat and board of control by political affairs so you will have a double government it's 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 implicable implicable you can see that you can witness it now not only that this particular act has empowered you know the board of control which actually looks for the political affairs to supervise and direct all the operations of the civil and the military government so the board of control which is set up to manage the political affairs is not only looking out for the political affairs it was even you know supervising and directing all the operations of the civil government and the military government and also about the revenues of british possessions in india so whatever the britishers are having in india even that was also being reported by this board of control only so the board though the board of control was initially set up to manage the political affairs this particular uh, you know act has empowered the board of control to look after even the civil matters military matters and you know the revenue matters of the british government in india so the main objective of this particular uh, pits act india or pits india's act 1784 is the company's territories in india for the first time were called as a british british uh, you know i should say british possessions in india so no longer the company's territories they are not no longer company's territories instead they were called as british possessions in india this particular act is signifying that point and second thing is the british government was given the supreme control over all the company's affairs and administration in india so by this you have to understand that though east india company is having the trading rights uh, to do business in india british government started to take over this east india company slowly and that's how you can witness under this pits india act 1784 where a board of control be, is being set up to look after all the civil military and the revenue aspects of britishers british possessions in india so this is the major you know features of this pits india's act 1784 from here onwards we are no the the territories of india were called as british possessions in india 
you will understand by the time 1947 india would be of two types you will have provincial india and the british india that british india has evolved from this word british possessions in india in later times it will be evolved as a british india which we will see in the next acts as well so this is what is about you know the peace act 1784 also Uh, there is another act which i would like to continue in this episode only that is act of 1786 again i repeat the next act is act of 1786 in 1786 lord cornwallis was appointed as the governor general of bengal we all knew this this is a fact okay and uh, <clears throat> he actually placed uh, two demands you know uh, before uh, taking up that position again i repeat uh, lord canwallis when he was appointed as the governor general of bengal he has uh, demanded two two points uh, you know to accept his post or his job the first one is he should be given the power to override the decision of uh, council in special cases if you remember we all knew that there is a uh, we all knew that governor general in bengal will be the supreme commander and to assist him will have an executive council with four members Now, what Lord Cornwallis wants is not all the time. Whatever the council takes the decision, the decision that need to be accepted by the, uh, you know, the Governor General. There should there will be some certain cases where he need to override the decision. So he demanded that the Governor General of Bengal should be given that power to override the decision of the council in special cases if needed. Right. So by this point, you need to understand that he there was no such option for. the governor general to oh, you know override the decision until this time means uh, the governor general of bengal was abated to follow the decisions taken by the executive council it, it it means the same thing right so whatever the council takes up the decision that need to be followed by the governor general of uh, you know bengal but now this guy won't do want that to happen he want that power to override the decisions taken by the executive council as well this is one important point and second thing is as per this act of 1786 he even also uh, demanded that he want to be the commander in chief for everything he wanted to be commander in chief uh, uh, for everything and all these two i mean uh, the british parliament has accepted these two demands uh, and they have enabled the act of 1786 with these two provisions so act of 1786 uh, is uh, because lord canwallis has demanded two points uh, one is he should be given the power to override the decision taken by the executive council and second one is he want to be the commander in chief uh, accepting these two points the british parliament has amended and uh, they have come up with a new act called as act of 1786 so please remember act of 1786 lord canwallis uh, canwallis and you have two points uh, overriding the decision of executive council and to be the commander of chief right so stay tuned and keep listening you will be uh, will be updating up with the next uh, you know acts as well in the coming up episodes thank you hey listeners welcome to upsc happy hour with me your host archana in this episode we are going to learn about charter act 1793 this episode would be continuance to the previous acts So what are the features of this Charter Act 1793 before knowing about it let let us uh, try to remember what we discussed in the previous episode 
in the previous episode we uh, learned about the pets act and as well as act of 1786 and i also told you that in 1786 lord canwallis uh, who was appointed as a governor general of the bengal wanted to override the decision of his council in special cases means he want that power to override the decision of council in special cases that power is been extended to lord canwallis under this charter act 1793 and it is not only for lord canwallis this overriding power was also been extended to the future governor generals and the governors of presidencies as well now this act also gave the governor generals more power and control over the subordinate uh, presidencies like bombay and madras if you remember i told you that Mag- bengal presidency was the uh, highest one and the subordinate presidencies was the bombay and madras so governor generals will have more power over this bombay and madras presidency and also this act extended the trade monopoly of the company in india for another 20 years means uh, this charter act has given you know has given the uh, east india company to do trade for another 20 years so we need to understand what would be the consequences and also this particular act provided the com- commander in chief uh, who was not the member of the governor general's council unless he was so appointed and so and the last one is that this act laid that the members of the board of control and the staff to be paid out from the indian revenues only so this particular act uh, you know started taking uh, you know i should say that increased the expenditure or whatever the indian revenues were there from that only the money uh, was given to this uh, britisher so this is where the uh, drain of wealth started off uh, in the form of the salaries you can understand by this charter act 1793 now uh, to the next act let's move on to the next act that is charter act 1813 So what are the major features of this particular act so as i told you in uh, 1793 uh, uh, charter act uh, the trade monopoly of the company was extended to 20 years right but according to this charter act 1813 uh, the trade monopoly of the company was abolished and the british government has opened the indian trade to all other british merchants so till now we had only one company looting india that is east india company but uh, the government of uh, england or the england queen they stopped i should say that uh, the monopoly of this one particular company and they want all the other british merchants to uh, do trade in india however the east india company you know it continued its monopoly with uh, uh uh you know uh china in the matters of tea and china both you know trade with trade in tea and as well as trade with china east india company was having the monopoly but for all the other rest matters its monopoly was abolished and it was open the trade was open to all other british merchants right so probably you know why this change between uh, 1793 to 1813 is uh, uh, so much of uh, wealth or uh, so much of income would have been seen by the other merchants and probably they would have influenced the government in the british and so this was this would be the consequences of that influence and second one is it asserted the sovereignty of british crown over the company's territories in india means whatever the british uh, company that is the east india companies 
territories are there means we know that east india company started up so surat you know they set up factory factories at surat mausali patnam in some areas they have uh, you know setting up their factories and they started ruling we know that and they they got even the diwani rights right so whatever the east india company acquired all those rights now would be for the british crown no longer the east india company will have power on that the british crown will have the power and also this charter act 1813 allowed the christian missionaries to come to india for the purpose of enlightening the people so to enlighten the people the christian missionaries started off uh, coming india coming into india through this charter act 1813 only and also uh, this particular act uh, you know provided for the spread of western education among the inhabitants of the british territories in india so whatever the british territories are there uh, in that uh, you know the start of the western education began so this particular point is a good one because uh, the english education has begun through this charter act 1813 throughout india which is a good sign actually only this point i'm talking about this point western education the english education and uh, also uh, now with this uh, western education the other good thing is uh, you know uh, uh, the some of the governor generals they wanted to abolish uh, sati system in future the consequences you know they want to abolish the sati system they want to abolish the child marriage and they want to promote education so this all began from the charter act 1813 only and also this charter act 1813 authorized the local governments in india to impose taxes on persons this is where the local governments uh, imposed the taxes on persons and they could also punish the persons for not paying taxes it seems so this enabled the local government to impose taxes on the people not just imposing even punishing if they are not paying the taxes so these are the main features of charter act 1813 so as i told you i request all the listeners to understand modern india before going through this particular uh, chapter that is evolution of indian constitution and it would make easy for you to understand why these kind of changes are happening in the charter act 1813 or you know the next coming acts what are the, why what made the changes to come in you will understand if you know that background it would be very easy for you to understand Stay tuned. Keep listening to UPSC Happy Hour with me, your host Archana. Signing off. Hey, listeners! Welcome to UPSC Happy Hour with me, your host Archana. In this episode, we will learn about Charter Act 1833. This act is very important as this is going to be the final step towards centralization in British India. So, what are the features of this act? This act made the Governor General of Bengal as Governor General of India. Please remember this. 1833 act made the Governor General of Bengal as Governor General of India. And so, all the civil military powers would be vested in this Governor General of India only. Thus, this particular act you know for the first time created a uh, government of india having authority over the entire territorial area possessed by british in india so governor general of india will not have uh, you know his i should say he will not only have power on he will have power throughout india earlier when it was governor general of bengal it was only governor general of bengal means only for bengal but now governor general he would be having power throughout india and that too the british possessed areas and you know who is the first 
governor general of india is lord william bentick so you have to understand that uh, lord william bentick is going to be the last governor general of bengal and the first governor general of india and also this act deprived the governor of bombay and madras of their legislative powers means uh, all the law making powers throughout india are being given to the governor general of india no longer the bombay governor and madras governor can make their laws they need to follow the laws or the legislations done by the governor general of india so and whatever the laws which were made under the previous acts were called as regulations and whatever the uh, you know the uh, acts which are made from this charter act 1833 were called as acts so please remember before 1833 whatever the rules were there they were called as regulations and after 1833 everything was called as act now it also ended you know the activities of east india company as a commercial body and east india company has now reformed or transformed into a purely administrative body so this provided you know the company's territories in india with uh, to be held in the name of his majesty his hires on his successors so you need to understand the company territories will no longer be by the east india company but they would be in the trust of his majesty his hires and successors and also this charter act 1833 attempted to come up with a new system or introduce a system of you know open competition for the selection of civil servants this is very very important so whatever the open competition we are seeing for the civil servants uh, today is uh, rooted to this charter act 1833 so we need to understand by this point that until 1833 there was no such open competition they used to select people randomly for the civil servants position but charter act 1833 uh, you know has created a system for open competition for the selection of civil servants and also stated that indians should not be debarred from holding any place office and employment under the company so this particular act charter act 1833 enabled the indians also to compete for higher positions however this proposal of you know allowing indians to participate uh, public employment under the company has uh, negated severe opposition from the court of directors right so for all this uh, four major points the charter act 1833 is very 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 important try to uh, you know uh, remember or revise it would be very easy for you to understand the major ones is introduction to civil servants of competition to civil servants and ending up uh, east india companies of east india company as a commercial body and the major one is uh, you know you'll no longer have a governor general of bengal instead you'll have a governor general of india and lord william bentick was the first governor general of india Hey listeners, welcome to UPSC Happy Hour with me, your host Archana. This episode, we will learn about Charter Act 1853. This act is important as it has a significant constitutional landmark in Indian administration. And also, this act is going to be the last Charter Act passed by the British Parliament between 1793 and 1853. So let's learn about the features. So what are the important features of this act? For the first time the legislative and executive functions of the governor general council were separated. 
if you remember we know that there was an executive council for the governor general and that executive council will be taking all the decisions and if you remember lord khan wallis want to override that council's decision as well i hope you remember that so this governor general council will have now two separate functions that is legislative functions and executive functions and also to this general council an addition of six new members will be added called as legislative councillors these six new members are called as legislative councillors means this legislative councillors will be also called as indian legislative council or central legislative council now this legislative wing under this council you know will function as a mini parliament because they would be doing all the law uh, legislative council in the sense is they would be doing all the all the law making so this is called as a mini parliament and this legislative council has adopted the same procedures as the british parliament so it was on the lines of the british parliament and it is a separate wing it is a central legislative council and it is also called as an indian central legislative council you'll have six councillors who will be looking after the legislative matters thus legislation for the first time was treated as a special function of the government you know requiring special machinery and special process for the law making and also this act has introduced an open competition of selection and recruitment of civil servants we know that even charter act 1833 has proposed that but there was an uh, uh, you know uh, i should say that uh, severe opposition on that but this 1853 act has introduced open competition system of election uh, selections and recruitment of civil servants and the civil services was this open even to the indians as well so how to do what to do how they need to be appointed to look after this mckale committee please remember mckale committee committee very very important was appointed in 1854 this mckale committee is also called as the committee on the indian civil service this mckale committee has given recommendations about the recruitment process of indians as civil servants and also this act extended the company's rule and allowed it to retain the position of indian territories on trust for british crown if you remember in the previous act we understood or we we will learn that the british crown will have that position of indian territories but now that decision is again given back to the company and company will actually retain all those position again but there was no uh, you know specified period like for how many years they are going to attain or uh, attain the position is not mentioned and this was a clear indication that the company rule can be terminated at any time whenever the british parliament want to do so though it has restored but there was no time period so it's a good chance for the british parliament to suspend it at any point of time and also this act is important because it introduced for the first time you know local representation in indian legislative council so please remember our indians got representation in this legislative council for the first time of the six new legislative members of the general governors uh, sorry governor general's council four members were appointed by the provincial governments uh, representing madras bombay bengal and agra so again i repeat in the six uh, councillors i told you six new councillors are been added to the governor general council to look after the legislative matters out of those six uh, four represented four areas uh, four provinces that is madras province bombay bengal and agra 
so this is what this the charter act 1853 with this charter act 1853 the company's rule in india would be ended in the senses uh, uh, you know the acts which were made in favor of the company were ended coming up will have the crown rule right from 1858 to 1947 you know between 1853 to 1858 what all has happened and why suddenly the crown rule act has come up in 1858 is because 1857 you have sepai mutiny and uh, consequence of that sepai mutiny new rules will be framed up which we will learn in the next episode so stay tuned to upsc happy hour with me your host signing off Welcome to UPSCR with me your host Archana. In this episode we are going to learn about the crown rule which begins from 1858 to 1947. In the previous episodes we understood about the Charter Act 1853 and after the Charter Act 1853 this is going to be the new uh, changes in Indian administration by the British government. So what is this crown rule 1858 1947 and why this has come up so we all knew that in 1857 the first war of independence or the sepai mutiny happened you know this enacted this made the people to revolt against the british government when i say the british government it is actually the east india company's government or east india company administration so Uh, they have interfered we know the reasons for the refi- uh, revolt of 1857 mutiny there are political causes there are uh, you know social causes there are economical causes we all knew that the the british uh, or the east india company started interfering in the religious matters you know they have even uh, started draining the wealth from india by purchasing all the raw materials we all knew this so all these factors or those who have a complete picture or an idea about revolt of 1857 would understand that that revolt actually made the british government to take a thought about administration in india and with this uh, uh, you know revolt or of after this revolt you know the consequences of this revolt is that the british crown has abolished the powers of the east india company so we know that till 1857 east india company is having the powers uh, you know with respect to the territories uh, revenues and even administration all those powers have been abolished by the british crown and the entire powers are being transferred to the british crown so right from 1858 whatever administration was happening or happened in india that was on the name of the british crown but not the east india company this is the major difference you have to understand and uh, for your understanding from 1858 uh, the british parliament has reformed the administration in india especially on the british india with the acts called as uh, the first one is the most important one is government of india act 1858 if you remember i told you that uh, the charters were ended up by the british parliament and the acts started uh, Uh, you know coming in for the administration of such acts this is what the first act uh, government of india act 1858 now this government of india act 
is also called as act for the good government of india again i repeat government of india act 1858 is also known as the act for the good government of india because uh, this this as you know that this is the consequences of you know the sepai mutiny all of a sudden the britishers were like a uh, you know surprised and shocked with the revolt that happened uh, that was initiated by mangal desh pande on may 10th 1857 so this uh, made the british the british crown also to give a thought like why the people are revolting what are the reasons they have gone for that and they wanted to change that and for that only they abolished the east india company's administration and the administration is transferred completely to the british crown now let's see what are the features of this acts one of the major uh, you know changes of this act is this act provided the name uh, uh, you know the administration in the name of her majesty you know means the queen her majesty and it changed the designation if you remember the designation the highest designation uh, for the ruling was governor general of india and this governor general of india's name was changed to viceroy of india so please understand there was no longer governor general of india we have viceroy of india and viceroy was the direct representative of the british crown in india and so the first viceroy of india was mr lord canning so lord canning he became the first viceroy of india and also he is the last governor general of india as well so please understand we no longer have governor general of india we have viceroy of india and this viceroy of india would be represented will will represent that he is the direct representative i should say of the british crown in india and the second best feature of this act is it ended up the double governments by abolishing the board of controls and control and court of directors if you remember east india company we had a board of control to look out commercial activities and court of directors to look after the revenue activities and political activities if you remember that kind of uh, you know the double government system is also been abolished and also this act has created a new office you know called as secretary of state for india which is having the complete authority and control over indian administration so uh, uh, you know this as if you remember there was a governor general for him you had an executive council that executive council was divided again into legislative council you remember this right so likewise a secretary of of state for india was created and this new office will have the complete authority over indian administration and this secretary of state he or she was a member of the british cabinet and was ultimately responsible to the british parliament so the secretary of state for india whatever decisions is taking in india it need to be informed to the british you know to the british parliament as well and usually the member the member of the british cabinet only will be appointed as secretary of state to india and also this act uh, established a 15 member council of india to assist the secretary of state for india so don't get confused you have a viceroy of india you have a secretary of state who is a cabinet member british cabinet member and this uh, uh, you know secretary of state would be assisted with a council which is a 15 member council and this council is an advisory body please remember this council is an advisory body and the secretary of state was made actually the chairman of this council 
so you'll have 15 members and this council will assist you and also this act constituted the secretary of state in council as a body corporate capable of suing and being sued in india and in england so this council is accountable both in india as well as you know england you can question and it can also question it can be questioned and it can also question both in india and as well as in england that's how the act of 1858 majorly focused on improving the administrative machinery uh, which would be supervised and controlled in england and it did not you know alter any substantial way the system of the government that prevailed in india it focused majorly on uh, you know the administrative purposes only that is what is about uh, government of india act 1858 stay tuned keep listening we'll come up with the next acts in the coming episodes signing off Hey listeners, welcome to UPSC Happy Hour with me your host Archana. In this episode we will learn about Indian Councils Act of 1861 as part of Crown Rule which happened between 1858 to 1947 in British India. In the previous episode we learned about the important features of Government of India Act 1858 and in this we are going to learn about Indian Council Act 1861. Now, after the Great Revolt of 1857, the British government they understood that without the support or without the participation of Indians in the administration, it is not possible for their survival. So they wanted to seek the cooperation and the support of Indians in the administration. So for that purpose, or to enable the part the Indian participation in British administration of British India, the British Parliament has enacted. three acts in 1861 1892 and as well as 1909 you know they understood finally that ki without you know uh, without the help of us it is not possible for them to survive and to loot away more and more money they have come up with uh, you know three different acts 1861 1892 and 1909 now the indian councils act 1861 is very very important in this counts constitutional and political history of india you need to understand that using all these acts somehow see um har ek cheez to ek din mein nahi hota hai to they evolved everything very slowly they come up with the, they encountered different different situations and uh, all of a sudden for see though they were you know pretty good uh, revolutions at different different places uh, you know the you know the british uh, was uh, shocked with uh, the revolt 1857 revolt is a ki jatka it was a big jatka to uh, you know the british uh, government uh, and it was a very big blow to blow to them you know they were like they were like helpless what is happening what happened uh, why people are revolting against us and they know they were majorly focusing on the economical reasons but uh, they realized of late they realized that we are unnecessarily interfering in the matters of indian Uh, people uh, cultures and that is where they realized and they understood ki again and again dobara dobara we should not do that mistake and so they have come up with this different uh, acts as well so what are the important features of this indian council act 1861 you know this particular act 
made the beginning by representing indians in the law making process so it is no longer the britishers only who will be doing the law making process even we indians do have the participation in law making process and the viceroy would how he is going to do or how they are going to do is the viceroy would nominate some indians as non official members of his council if you remember even the viceroy is having a council and in 1862 you know lord canning uh, the most country guy the lord canning the then viceroy he nominated three indians to the legislative council the raja of banaras the maharaja of patiala and sir dinakar rao these three indians were nominated by lord canning into his legislative council so the first one is the indians started taking participating in the law making process now second one is you know the process of decentralization has begun again are yaar again fir wapas aa gaye what happened actually is if you remember by regulating act 1773 from regulating act 1773 till charter act 1833 the british government through east india company started you know centralizing the power everything was taken into control by the british only now but again when they realized that it is important for the indians also to participate they started again redistributing the power if you remember uh, we know that the bengal madras and bombay presidencies were in- initially independent but later they were made as subordinates of the bengal uh, you know governor general of bengal you know all this right so now again they started giving the power back to the bombay and madras presidencies they started you know restoring the power back to these presidencies so the centralization administration has reversed back from 1773 and this policy of legislative devolution or decentralization has started giving you know autonomy to the provinces in 1937 you know almost by until 19 by 1937 complete autonomy was given to the kings you know that is how you can see so many stories coming up and uh, you might have also watched so many films and Uh, the bollywood about the kings and also all this that that autonomy was given completely to the provinces by 1937 and also this particular act has provided for the establishment of a new uh, legislative councils as well you know for bengal because you know power is being decentralized so there is no other option for them they have to go for an formal setup so a new legislative councils for bengal northwest provinces and punjab were also established in 1862 1886 and 1897 as well and also this act empowered the viceroy who is the direct representative of british crown uh, to make the rules and orders for the more convenient transactions of business in the council he uh, it also gave a recognition to the portfolio system a concept called as portfolio system this is what now this portfolio system is what we see in the ministries now the same thing uh, that what the portfolios you are seeing now it has been introduced at then those days itself and uh, especially under the rule of lord canning i told you okay the lord canning in 1859 under this a member of the viceroy council was made in charge of one or more departments of the government and he would be having the authority to issue final orders regarding the matters of that particular department okay one guy will be made in charge of all these departments and also this uh, uh, you know indian councils act 1861 has also empowered the viceroy to issue ordinances please remember this word ordinances very 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 important man this ordinance issuing power is also vested with the president in today's uh, 
uh, indian administration and also with the governor also we'll we'll understand we'll under, we'll learn about those concepts later but uh, the viceroy is having the power to issue ordinances without uh, the concurrence of the legislative council during an emergency it is happening the same even today also you know president is having that uh, you know power of issuing ordinances under article 123 and governor is also having the power to issue ordinances under article 213 it's easy to remember president 123 governor is 213 so this concept of ordinances which is vested with the president and governor is actually been initiated by viceroy by uh, through indian councils act 1861 itself right so these are you know some of the important features of indian councils act 1861 please uh, try to understand make a note of it and if, if you if you have lakshmikanth with you i want to make a, a clear statement that students with lakshmikanth in their book and if they are going through that book listening to this podcast it would be very very easy for you it would be easy for you to uh, you know mark which one is important and the turning point of indian administration so stay tuned to upsc apr with me your host achna keep listening signing off jai hind hey listeners welcome to upsc happy hour with me your host achna in this episode we will learn about indian councils act 1892 In the previous episode, we learned about Indian Councils Act 1861. Now, let's see some of the important features of this Indian Council Act 1892. If you remember, we discussed it about Viceroy, Viceroy having Viceroy, Secretary of State, and there would be a Council uh, which will control the authority of India. And also, you have to remember Viceroy nominating some of the Indians as part of legislative, pro- uh, you know, Council or lawmaking process. So this. Uh, act is continuous to that so this council act 1892 it increased the number of additional members in the central and provincial legislative councils and these members are not official members they are non official members but the official majority is maintained though the number of non official members are proposed to increase the you know the council still maintain the official majority in them and also this council increased the functions of the legislative councils and gave them the power to discuss budget though the concept of budget was introduced by the britishers in 1860 until 1892 the legislative councils are not having the power to discuss about them now this pro- this act has given that power to discuss you know the budget and also this council act started addressing questions to the executive they started even addressing the questions to the executive means they started even questioning the executive it is like accountability you need to understand that okay, what was done what happened now what we see in the today's parliament scenario in our lok sabha and rajya sabha like government ne kya kiya hai that kind of you know questioning was started off even uh, by this indian council act 1892 and the third important feature is it provided for nomination of some of the non official members of the central legislative councils as well by the viceroy uh, in the recommendations of provincial legislative councils and uh, even the bengal chamber of commerce so even i told you the power is getting decentralized i told you that it was restored to bengal and even madras and uh, for those uh, uh, you know bengal and madras presidency and bombay presidency presidency 
the legislative councils has also been set up i told you this in the previous episode so for that provincial legislative councils more non official members can be members can be you know actually nominated by the viceroy and also the provincial uh, legislative councils made by the governors uh, on the recommendations of the district boards municipalities universities trade associations zamindares and the chambers even for that provincial legislative councils also will be having more additional non official members also so this act indian council act on a whole you know focused on improving the participation uh, people's participation or i should say indians participation in the administrative process in the law especially in the law making process and also this act the other important feature of this act is this act made a limited and indirect a provision for the use of election in filling up some of the non official seats so the non official seats whatever are vacant are there in the central and provincial legislative councils they got filled by using a system called as election and please remember please make a note over here that the word election was never used in this act again you see the word election was never used in this act but a process was being described Uh, as a nomination made on the recommendation of certain bodies so there was a process being mentioned though the word direct word election is not used in this act a process is being described how to you know uh, nominate the people for this central and provincial legislative councils is mentioned in the indian council act 1892 so that is what is about indian council act 1892 in the next episode we will discuss about indian council act 1909 very 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 important as part of administration by by britishers in india which will discuss the background why what has what are the reasons for this indian council act 1909 everything will discuss in brief in the next episode signing off jai hind Hey listeners, welcome to UPSC Happy Hour with me your host Archana. In this episode, we are going to discuss about Indian Councils Act 1909, which is very important, an act which was enacted by British Parliament to introduce reforms in, you know, the legislative councils in India. Now, before getting to know what are the important features of this Indian Council Act 1909, we need to know about the background what actually led for these reforms so despite queen victoria's proclamation that indians should be treated equally the unfortunate thing is many of the british authorities were really hesitant to treat us as equal partners this is one reason second thing is uh, the bengal partition has happened in 1905 by lord curzon and this uh, led to you know a huge massive uprising in bengal and as a result they understood that that some reforms need to be introduced you know uh, in the governance and the third thing is the indian national congress which was set up in 1885 also started agitating for more and more reforms we started demanding indian national congress also started you know demanding for more and more reforms especially self governance for indians now if you Uh, you need to know here about indian national congress indian national congress inc initially was led by moderators the kind of leaders who actually represented inc from 
were moderators in the sense is they were more like uh, pre petition mode they were not in aggressive mode but now from 1905 onwards the extremist leaders started taking over inc they demanded for more you know indian governance self rule that aggressive demand by inc also made the british government to think and inc also the other point which led for the reforms is the indian national congress also demanded for home rule you know for the first time in 1906 itself so this gave the thought this this idea of home rule made our leaders to meet the uh, you know the british politicians especially uh, uh, you know especially gopal krishna gokhale he went uh, to england and he met mr morley uh, to emphasize the need of reforms like he uh, he gave him the scenarios he explained all the scenarios why they need to go for reforms or change in the administration and also a group of elite muslims some of the elite muslims led by aga khan they have met lord minto in england in 1906 and placed their demand that they should have a separate electorate for the muslims a separate electorate for muslims were also demanded by the aga khan to lord and he they kept this demand in front of the lord minto as well so all these you know scenarios this uh, uh, consequences or the events that happened made the john morley made mr john morley who was the member of then liberal government in british to make positive changes in indian governance that is how the minto morley reforms were initiated now what are the major provisions of this morley minto reforms the legislative councils at the center you know and the provinces increased in number so now the central legislative council increased from 16 to 60 members and the legislative councils of bengal madras bombay and united provinces started having 50 members each again i repeat not total 50 members each and the third thing is the legislative councils of punjab burma and assam started having 30 members each these are all the results of the decentralization and also the legislative councils at the center and the provisions were to have four category of members as of uh, you know as officials that is ex officio members and the governor general and members of the executive council will be having and nominated official members will be there who will be nominated by the governor general you will have nominated non official members who will be nominated by the governor general but were not government officials and also you will have elected members would be elected by different category of indians now the elected members please make a note were elected indirectly the local bodies elected an electoral college who would elect the members of this provincial legislative councils and these members who were elect the member whoever elected will in turn elect the members of the central legislative council so the provincial legislative council will be electing the members of the central legislative council if you understand uh, after few lessons you will understand that it is same thing that is happening even today also and the elected members from the local bodies of uh, uh, the chamber of commerce landlords universities traders you know communities uh, 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 would be uh, and even the muslims also from all these categories you will have the elected members and also in the provincial councils you know the non official members were in the majority however since some of the non official members were nominated in total a non elected majority was there as well so actually the official members need to maintain the majority but in certain provincial councils you have non official members maintaining the majority and also this act is important because this act 
gave Indians membership to the Imperial Legislative Council for the first time. Please make a note of this. Put a star mark for this. That Indians were given membership to the Imperial Legislative Council for the first time. And also this act introduced a separate electorates for the Muslims. This is where you will see the differences. This actually will change the uh, you know the movement Indian mood movement it leads to conflicts what happened and all we'll listen in the next uh, episodes and this introduced a separate electorate for the Muslims and some of the constituencies were reserved for the Muslims and only Muslims could cut could vote for their representatives that is what is the separate electorates for the Muslim and also the members the members could discuss even budget and other resolutions they could also discuss the matters of public importance we have this even today in the parliament our members they have you know question hour zero hour they would be discussing matters of public importance adey madri you have this kind of you know public uh, important uh, public interest matters could also be discussed here and also they could ask even supplementary questions man you you find out all this in uh, budget lesson when we discuss in the future lessons also and no discussions on foreign policy please make a note no discussions on foreign policy or relationship with the princely states were permitted means questions on foreign policy or questions on relations with the princely states were not allowed in the discussion and lord minto you know he appointed please make a star note of a star mark of this that lord minto appointed satyendra p sinha as the first indian member of viceroy's executive council again i repeat lord minto appointed satyendra p sinha as the first indian member of the viceroy's executive council apart from this two more indians were nominated to the council on the secretary of state for indian affairs now what are the what is the significance what is how do you assess this parliamentary reforms is uh, this actually introduced the communal representation in india that difference you know the religious difference started popping up through this reforms parliamentary reforms though it idea was to give representation to the other section of the society that is the muslim community but uh, you know it led to the clear cut demarcation of uh, people on the based of religion and this uh, actually led intended to stem the growing tide of the nationalism this actually uh, you know stopped the, the nationalism people uh, nationalism feeling because people were divided now you know everyone wants the power everyone are busy in getting power so everyone lost their focus on nationalism and they focused on their uh, uh, you know re, uh, you know regional or communal development and also this step was seen in the partition of the country when uh, you know this kind of a step you get see when the partition has also happened in 1905 by lord karzan who gave a reason stating that the 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 bengal was divided into two parts for administrative convenience but in but actually the reason for the partition is they want to divide hindus and muslims they don't want us to fight united they want us to divide and rule this is where the concept of divide and rule has emerged and we see this divide and rule concept even in our daily life in you know here and there in the top managements and somewhere in the middle managements and even in the lower managements also we see people getting divided uh, they would be divided they will not allow the unity to happen they will divide them and they will try to rule them 
this concept is uh, has emerged this concept of you know divide and rule can clear cut be a clear cut uh, visible is clear cutly visible in this minto morley reforms uh, 1909 and also this uh, though this act uh, you know has increased the number of members but it couldn't do anything to grant colonial self government which uh, the congress has demanded in 1906 the self rule government which was first uh, you know demanded by congress in 1906 they didn't do anything with that and they just uh, you know what they did on a whole is they just uh, increased the indian participation in the legislative councils especially the provincial level rather than you know, increasing the numbers you don't find much you know effect or much changes in the administration as discussed in this episode so the tall is about minto morley reforms uh, or you know the indian uh, uh, council act uh, uh, 1909 is being discussed stay tuned for the next episode episode uh, keep listening to upsc happy archana signing off jai hind Hey listeners, welcome to UPSC Happy Hour with me your host Archana. In this episode, we will learn about uh, the Government of India Act 1919 reforms or also called as Montague Kemsford reforms. In the previous episode, we learned about Government of India Act 1909. Before knowing about the features of this Government of India Act 1919, we need to understand what are all the major reform or major uh, events that happened between 1909 and 1919 if you remember if you try to understand what actually happened between 1909 and 1919 then it would be easy for you to understand the features in a best possible way so let's look out what are all the historical events that happened between 1909 and 1919 capital of india was shifted from calcutta to delhi in 1911 bomb was thrown on lord hardinge in chandni chowk delhi by rashberry bose and sachendra sanyal also gadda party was formed at san francisco to organize a rebellion in india to overthrow the british rule first world war also started and The main thing is uh, Gandhi ji has come back from South Africa and he formed Sabarmati Ashram at Ahmedabad. Meanwhile, you know, all this were happening aside. And also Home Rule League founded by Tilak Balgangadhar Tilak with its headquarters at Pune. And also another Home Rule League was started by Annie Besant in South India. So in the North India the Home Rule League was formed by you know started off by Tilak and in South India it was started by Annie Besant and the foundation of Banaras Hindu University was done by Madan Mohan Malviya Lucknow and also Mahatma Gandhi he launched the Champaran Satyagraha in his format in his own way to handle this freedom movement and then the montague the secretary of state for india he declared that the goal of the british government in india is the introduction of responsible government this is the key point 
montag already announced that they are going to come up with introduction of responsibility government this is where you know the thought process have changed up and also uh, the raulat committee submitted its reports and raulat bill was introduced on feb 16th 1919 because of this raulat committee or also known as sedition committee a huge protest began under the leadership of uh, uh, amara gandhi uh, he started off a campaign against this raulat bill and he uh, set up satyagraha sabha on 24th february 1919 at bombay during this agitation only mr gandhi has given a famous quote that it is my firm belief that we shall obtain salvation only through sufferings not by reforms dropping on us from the english they use brute we soul force also another event you know that led to a big you know uh, agitation or uh, seriousness in the freedom movement or with act which actually made the indians to further uh, uh, power to fight for the freedom is uh, jallian wala bag tragedy that happened in amritsar so with all these events in the background you know montek claims for reforms uh, were introduced in india and please remember in 1918 edwin montek the secretary of state and the lord clemsford the viceroy these both has come up they both have come up with constitutional reforms known as montek clemsford reforms which led for the enactment of government of india act 1919 and this montek clemsford reforms though were initiated in 1919 they came into force from 1921 and the main purpose of this act was to ensure indians of their representation in the government because uh, montek has given a statement that they want to come up of uh, with a responsible govern- government by the indians itself and also this act introduced reforms at the central as well as the provincial level now let's look out you know what are the salient features of this act the basically this act actually relaxed the central control power over the provinces by you know uh, demarcating and separating the central and provincial subjects so what the central pro- central uh, uh, it's more like uh, what the central government need to do and what the provinces need to do the list was separated the activities list was separated subjects list we should say and the central and provincial legislatures were authorized to make laws on their respective list subjects you need to understand this point even today also we have the same feature we have three list union list state list and concurrent list on the union list whatever the whatever the subjects are mentioned under the union list the central government only can make a law on the state list the state governments only can make the law and concurrent list both center and state together can make the law this is what we have today the same wise uh, this feature was actually introduced by you know the government of india act 1919 where they have separated the powers between the central uh, you know legislature and provincial leg- legislature so make a point of this that this is actually this actually started the decentralization further further and further decentralization has begun also this act further divided the provincial subjects into two parts one is transferred subjects and reserved subjects total subjects were divided into central and provincial and the provincial subjects were further divided into 
transferred and reserved subjects the transferred subjects were to be administered by the governor with the help of the ministers who were responsible to the legislative council and the reserved subjects on the other other hand they would be administered by the governor and his executive council without being responsible to the legislative council this kind of you know governance was known as diarchy or diarchy which means double rule however unfortunately this you know experiment was not successful it was unsuccessful and also this is the first time this act for the first time has introduced you know bicameralism and direct elections in the country please put a star mark for this this for, this act for the first time you know introduced bicameralism bicameralism means having lower house and upper house and direct elections as well thus the indian legislative council you know was replaced by a bicameral legislature consisting of upper house and lower house and the majority members of the both the houses were chosen by direct election even today also we do have bicameralism we know that rajya sabha and lok sabha adhe madri we had you know even then at that time like you know upper house and the lower house as well and it required that three of the six members of the viceroy executive council were to be indian if you remember we know that viceroy is having an executive council in that six members are there in that six members kandipa compulsory you know three members to be uh, the indian people and also this act extended the principle of communal representation by providing separate electorates you know earlier it was given to muslims but this act has uh, extended this uh, concept of separate electorates even for sikh community indian christians anglo indians as well as europeans so this separate 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 electorates for everyone has begun uh, completely over from this uh, government of india act 1919 and also it it granted franchisee to a limited number of people on the basis of property tax or education please put a star mark franchise means uh, you know the voting power so it has given the voting right to a limited number of people not for all but for only few sections of the society because of their wealth tax the amount they are paying and the education see the difference later we see once we get independence the franchise right was given for everyone right but in those days it was given in this way based on the money tax you pay and education also and also this act has created a new office of the high commissioner for india in london in london please remember and transferred to him some of the functions hitherto to be performed by the secretary of state for india so it's not alone the secretary of state for india is looking after india we have a high commissioner for india in london who will also be looking after the functions to be done in india and also it provided for the establishment of a public service commission very 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 important the central public service commission which is today called as upsc union public service commission was set up with the recommendations of this uh, you know government of india act 1919 and uh, this commission was set up in 1926 for recruiting the civil servants and also please remember put a star mark that this uh, act for the first time you know separated the provincial budgets from the central budget and also authorized the provincial legislature to enact their own budgets it's no longer the central government even the provinces can you know prepare their own budget 
before it was not like this the central uh, you know provincial the central legislature was having control over the budget of both the center and as well as provinces but now they are no longer going to do that the union budget is separate and the provincial legislature's is budget is separate and even today also we have the same concept we do have union budget uh, discussed in parliament and you have respect to state budgets which will be discussed in the state assemblies the same thing and also it uh, this act you know provided for the appointment of a statutory commission to inquire into and report on its working after 10 years coming into force so whatever the commissions are there whatever the statutory commission is been appointed they want it to be reviewed after 10 years right and so these are the main features of uh, you know the act government of india act in 1919 and the major thing is uh, you know the significance of this act is the indian started uh, you know uh, becoming more and more uh, uh, instilled with a sense of the nationalism though they were made to be part of the government though they were given you know chance to be part of the government they didn't leave the nationalism they are not happy with that they still want to go with the complete freedom that is what is though they continue to work to be part of this british Uh, acts and duties uh, they still continued their nationalism and they were moving towards the goal of the swaraj so there was no deviation uh, you know in attaining the freedom and also people understand the understood the power of you know voting they understood the importance of voting because uh, they got i mean see it's very clear that uh, the voting was given only to the people who paid high tax wealth and as well as education so people understood what would be the power of having uh, voting or you know the voting power today many of the people in india the percentage uh, when we conduct elections general elections the turnout of uh, the elections would be around 65 to 70% 30% of the people are ignorant about the voting in india as of from today but in those days they understood the value of the voting and everyone strived to have that voting not just only to some sections of the society they wanted that voting rights to be expanded to everyone right and also the self government as uh, you know they stated was given to the provincial government that is what you can see that uh, the powers being distributed assembly the you know discussions are separated the budgets are separated means they have in a way has uh, you know introduced the self government in the provincial areas and also this uh, you know separation of provincial uh, councils and the provincial duties or provincial subjects uh, made the indians uh, to be prepared for, for more and more responsibilities coming up in the administration so it is more of like a prep you know uh, administrative prep for the indians uh, uh, you know how they need to handle their future that is what is the main object of this i mean this act has uh, uh, you know the importance or the significance to indians but the major there are certain drawbacks of this act as well the central government was not so uh, responsible as been stated second thing is uh, because of the separate electorates you know the communalism spreaded more obviously man everyone want to have their own representation so the fighting would be more and this is also a strategy you know of divide and rule movement and the third one is uh, 
electrodes being limited you know limited extension of electrodes uh, uh, and only one and a half million was extended of the central legislature what whereas uh, they, we had around 260 million population at the time but the electorate was extended only to one and a half million which is also again a drawback and there was no much uh, uh, you know administrative count, uh, control because uh, 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 you know you know we cannot the legislature could not control the viceroy and his executive council means the legislature would function separately viceroy and his executive council would function separately you will find this kind of governance in united states of united states of american administration where uh, uh, the president is not answerable or accountable to the congress in the same way we have this viceroy and his executive council were not having were not been controlled by the legislature and though they say that they could uh, you know discuss about the budget the provincial ministers do not have control over the finances they just can prepare the budget but they cannot do anything beyond that and also the provincial ministers were not at all contacted in the matters of importance so you can see that there was lack of administrative control because of this act and also the governor enjoyed unrestricted powers because he could take any decision against the council and uh, ministers and there was also inappropriate division of the subjects as well now let us understand what is public's reaction on this particular act as uh, you know the congress met uh, they had a special session in august uh, 1918 at bombay at, under hasan imam's presidency and they declared that these reforms to be disappointing and unsatisfactory and also they demanded for more effective self government instead okay and uh, bal gangadhar tilak he uh, you know he declared this uh, reforms as unworthy disappointing a sunless dawn uh, you know and any person also called these reforms as unworthy of england to offer and india to accept however uh, some of the britain senior leaders like you know surendranath banerji they were fine with this government proposals because they were more into like they don't want to have they they know that it would not happen immediately everything will not come immediately right you require time so they are happy that some of the reforms have happened it is not that they are against india or in favor of british but you know they have seen the they have uh, understood the most practical way and they realized that every, that nothing comes at a time they need to wait for some time this is what they realized and also uh, the swaraj party uh, 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 and also because of this uh, you know communal electorate so many communal rights happened between 1922 to 1927 and the swaraj party was uh, founded in 1923 and it has won in all elections except madras and also the diarchy system was uh, you know uh, uh, unsuccessful uh, way of handling the governance but the raulat act you know the most important one the raulat act uh, the other side started you know suppressing uh, the indians uh, this act uh, will enable will uh, enable you know to arrest any indian uh, who if the government feels that whoever is government uh, they can be arrested under this raulat act only in march 1919 the government of india act 1919 passed the raulat act even though the single indian member of the central legislative council opposed it and this act you know the raulat act orders the government to imprison any person without a trial and conviction in a court of law and unfortunately this act even suspended the right of habeas corpus which has been the major foundation of 
civil liberties in britain habeas corpus was also suspended so these are all the consequences the reactions of the government of india act 1919 i hope you understood i i try to cover the history and the constitutional part uh, so so in the next episode we'll cover up we'll come up with the next act uh, so keep listening stay tuned to upsc happy hour with me your host archna signing off jai hind Hey listeners welcome to UPSC happy hour with me your host Archana in this episode we are going to discuss about government of india act 1935 which is very important and uh, you know the most uh, uh, major source for framing up of indian constitution in the future government of india act 1935 is also called as mother of indian constitution because after independence when our constitutional framers try to come up with the uh, new independent constitution they have picked up many features from this government of india act 1935 so this act is very important and to know about the features of this act we need to first understand what is the background that happened before 19 uh, uh, from 1919 and 1935 between 1919 and 1935 we need to know that incidents that led for framing up this act that is government of india act 1935 basically there was you know continuous demand for constitutional reforms in india by the indian leaders we know that we were continuously asking the britishers for uh, you know our participation more in the government the consequence is that we could see the number of uh, indian uh, representatives in the viceroy council or legislative council as well also uh, first world war during the first world war india has supported to britain so we were expecting in britain you know because of the support we were expecting some acknowledgement from the british in the form of uh, uh, participating more indians or allowing more indians in the administration of our own country now the government of india act 1935 is because you know based on simon commission report and as well as the recommendations of the first round table conferences that happened and also the white paper published by the british government in 1933 which is actually based on the third round table conference also there was report of the joint select committee all these reports made the british parliament to come up with a new act called as government of india act 1935 for your quick reference you need to remember that in the previous episodes we learned about government of india act 1909 and as well as 1919 to understand the government of india act uh, 1935 in a better way you must listen to this episodes to the previous episodes mandatory so that it would be easy for you to understand here so before getting into the features of government of india act 1935 i would like to first explain um, uh, uh, about simon commission in brief what is simon commission we know that government of india act 1919 was announced and from there for 10 years a royal commission was set up to review upon the government of india act 1919 so how it is working and all to review that a committee a commission was set up which is nothing but called as simon commission now we all knew uh, that uh, uh, you know the government of india act 1919 has introduced hierarchy in india it uh, you know it has uh, uh, you know even uh, led for uh, 
more electorates more uh, uh, communal electorate system for six as well now the simon commission has reviewed and has given its uh, recommendations and this simon commission was an indian statutory commission which was a group of seven members of parliament under the chairmanship of sir john simon this commission has arrived in india in 1928 to study the constitutional reforms which were introduced by 1919 act and one of its members was a future uh, leader of the labor party uh, mr clement atley who became committed to self government for india now because on, on the name of this chairman only this commission got to be known as simon commission now this commission though it came india to study about how the constitutional reforms are working this simon commission was boycotted throughout india there was a huge outrage by indians uh, uh, when the commission was visiting india the congress party uh, you know decided to boycott the commission uh, at their madras session in 1927 muslim league which was led by mohammad ali jinnah also boycotted this commission and uh, the justice party in the south also decided to you know boycott this commission uh, and when this commission has come up in february 1928 uh, there were huge protests across the country black flag demonstrations happened over the country and people uh, you know uh, were chanting the slogan simon go back like how we have uh, you know twitter trending now at the time the tre- uh, the trend was uh, simon go back the hashtag was simon go back the police restored to the lati charges to suppress the movement unfortunately the senior leaders were also not spared like pandit nehru were not spared in this uh, you know movement and in lahore you know unfortunately lala lajpat rai who was leading the demonstration against the simon commission he was brutally lati charged who later died because of this injuries also dr b r ambedkar he submitted a report on behalf of uh, you know bahishkrit hitakarni sabha on the education of the depressed classes in the bombay presidency to the simon commission now this kai simon commission it has visited india and it has published its report in 1930 and before publishing the report simon commission has uh, given an uh, you know assurance that they would further consider of uh, you know uh, further uh, you know uh, they have a consideration of giving further reforms in india and also they the simon commission recommended the abolition of diarchy and also setting up of representative governments provinces as well it also recommended that there should be the retention of separate communal electorates uh, so that the communal tensions will come down and this simon commission recommendations has led the british parliament to come up with a new act called as uh, you know government of india act 1935 it's not just simon commission even the first uh, round table conference uh, recommendations were also taken into uh, the outcomes of the first uh, round table conference were also taken into consideration this uh, first uh, round table conference in this 58 political parties from political leaders from british india participated and delegates from uh, you know native princely states as well as the british political parties also participated but you need to make a note over here that the indian national congress decided not to participate in the con- uh, in the conference many of the inc leaders were imprisoned due to their involvement in the civil disobedience movement which began in 1930 and among the british indians uh, Uh, uh the people the groups or representatives who attended the conferences are 
కాన్ఫరెన్స్ ఆర్ ముస్లిం లీగ్ హిందూస్ జస్టిస్ పార్టీ సిక్స్ లిబరల్స్ you know parsis christians labor women universities and other representatives from government of india has uh, participated in this round table conference and in this round table conference they have discussed about the federal structure you know setting up of provincial constitution provinces of sindhu and northwest frontier to be set up discussion about minorities defense services franchise that is voting rights and uh, providing executive responsibility to the legislature and dr b r ambedkar even demanded uh separate electorates for the untouchables please remember this he demanded separate electorates for untouchables which was later again opposed by gandhi ji and uh, you know the rest of the story and uh, tej bahadur sapro moved the idea of all india federation which was supported by muslim league and other princely states also supported that uh, uh, concept of all india federation because they believe in that internal sovereignty is very much needed at that time and this first ever uh, first round table conference uh, you know lasted till 19th january 1931 it began in 1930 and ended on 19th january 1931 many uh, principles of reforms were not were agreed but uh, they are not sure about implementation part so this uh, first round table conference consequences are also uh, you know uh, were uh, actually taken into consideration while setting up the government of india act 1935 here i want to make a, a small important note that uh, dr b r ambedkar tej bahadur attended all the three round table conferences mahatma gandhi took part only in the second round table conference so please make a note that the three round table conferences are attended by you know b r ambedkar and tej bahadur Uh, attended the, all the three first second and third all three were attended by these two guys that is br ambedkar and tej bahadur and mr gandhi he attended only the second round table conference and uh, uh, also i would like to mention that the first table first round table conference which was held in 1930 uh, was represented uh, was india was uh, participated by you know ambedkar mohammad ali jinnah sapru tej bahadur sapru mohammad jafrullah khan vs srinivas shastri Kate Paul and Meera Ben are the key participants from India in this round table conference. So please remember uh, Gandhi ji was never in the first or the third conference he was only in the second conference. So these are this is till now we discussed about the background uh, that led for setting up of government of India act 1935. Now we need to look out for the important features uh, of uh, you know uh, the government of India act 1935. Basically the government of India act uh, 1935 has divided powers between center and the provinces and also three lists were given under each government that is federal list provincial list and concurrent list this federal list is called as union list today provincial list is called as provinces and concurrent list is is vested with both the, you know the uh, federal and as well as provinces and uh, you have to understand that the viceroy was vested with the residual powers and also this act gave more autonomy to the provinces diarchy was abolished the governor was called as head of the executive there would be council of ministers who would be advising the governor these uh, ministers would be responsible for the provincial legislatures who controlled them and also the governors are being given special reserve powers the british authorities could still suspend a provincial government though diarchy was abolished 
but the britishers still have a power to suspend the provincial government which is a low point because uh, you like it you don't like it you still have a cho- choice to suspend them that creates actually the biased behavior of the britishers towards some provinces also a bicameral federal structure was established would be established you know bicameral legislature that is um, you know uh, with the two houses lower house and upper house was announced and the two houses were called as federal assembly lower house which is lower house and council of states which is an upper house the federal assembly has a term of 5 years and both the houses are representatives from princely states as well and this bicameral legislatures please make a note that were introduced in some provinces like Bengal, Madras, Bombay, Bihar, Assam and United Provinces also and also a federal court was established at Delhi for setting up the or solving the disputes between the provinces and the center and also this Delhi federal court would have one chief justice and not more than six judges and also the Indian council was abolished the secretary of state of india would instead have a team of advisers also this act is very important because it first time introduced direct elections in india for the first time please make a note that though the concept of elections were discussed in the previous uh, uh, acts uh, but this act has introduced the concept of direct elections in india for the first time and also uh, the british india was reorganized in such a way that sindh was carved out of bombay presidency bihar and orissa were split Burma was severed off from India that is Burma got separated from India Aden was also separated from India and made it into a crown colony so these are some of the important uh, features of uh, government of India act uh, you know 1935 also uh, in the it i need to mention that it uh, government of india act further extended the principle of communal uh i should not say communal representation yes communal representation only so it further extended the principle of communal representation by providing separate electorates for depressed classes if you remember br ambedkar demanded for separate electorates for depressed classes which was adhered by government of india act 1935 and uh, also 10% of the total population were announced voting rights means it was uh, the voting rights were given only to the people who pay power or tax who have high wealth and uh, uh, you know your tax and wealth those guys were given the voting rights but because of government of india act 1935 10% of total indian population were given the voting right and also this government of india act has provided for the establishment of a reserve bank of india to control the currency and the credit of the country so it uh, you know uh, this is also a very important point and also this act further uh, established a federal public service commission and also a provincial public service commission very 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 important and also a joint public service commission this federal public service commission is nothing but union public service commission which we have today and the provincial public service service commission is nothing but the state uh, public service commissions which we have across various states in india and also the joint public service commission which we have even today also right so uh, this is what is all about government of india act 1935 very 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 important uh, this is where uh, the this is uh, because of its features you know diversified features and uh, uh, since the act uh, you know uh, touched across various aspects of the administration this government of india act 1935 stat- is taken as a major source for framing up the future indian constitution modern 
Indian Constitution, and it is also called as, as I mentioned, it is also called as Mother of Indian Constitution. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Keep listening. Stay tuned to UPSC Happy Hour with me, your host Archana, signing off. Jai Hind. Hey listeners, welcome to UPSC Happy Hour with me, your host Archana. In this episode, we will learn about Indian Independence Act 1947. On February 20th, 1947, the British Prime Minister Clement Attlee declared that British rule in India would end up by June 30, 1948, and after that, the power would be transferred to the responsible Indian hands. So we need to understand what actually happened until 1948, or you know, uh, you know what happened between 1935 and 1947, in order to understand the features of Indian Independence Act 1947. So, what are the major incidents that occurred after 1935? We know that Government of India Act 1935 was passed, and after that. Elections were held in India under the Act 1935. The Indian National Congress forms ministers in seven provinces, and Haripuran session of Indian National Congress was, you know, conducted, and Subhash Chandra Bose was elected as the Congress president. Also, a Tripura session of uh, India's Indian National Congress Tripura session was also conducted. Subhash Chandra Bose resigns the presidentship from uh, presidentship of Indian National Congress. Second World War begins and Viceroy declares that India is to at war. Congress ministers who won the election in 1935 from the provinces they resign against the war policy of British government and Muslim League observes the resignation of the Congress ministers as Deliverance Day. Also, a Lahore session of the Muslim League the Pakistan resolution Viceroy Lilling Go announces the August offer, and also Congress launches the individual Satyagraha movement. Unfortunately, you had death of Ravindranath happened. Subhash Chandra Bose escapes from India to Germany, and Churchill, Winston Churchill, he announces the Krebs machine. The Krebs machine proposals were rejected by the Congress, and Quit India resolution was passed. by bombay session of aicc in 1942 which led to the start of historical civil disobedience movement across india also indian leader mohandas gandhi was arrested in bombay by british forces and hurricane and floodings happened in bombay also and the indian national army which was an armed forces formed by indian nationalists especially mohan singh in southeast asia during the world war 2 also Subhas Chandra Bose tells over the leadership of Indian National Congress and proclaims the formation of provincial government of free India at Singapore. Karachi session of Muslim League also happened which adopted the slogan of divide and quit. Meanwhile, the Japanese attacks the port of Kolkata. Kushal Kanwar, Indian National Congress president of Gallowgat, first martyr of Quit India movement. He was the first martyr of Quit India movement. and wevel he calls for shimla conference 
in a bid to form the executive council of indian political leaders also royal air force uh, mutiny of 1946 of uh, british and indian air force units in british prime minister etley announces the cabinet mission wavel invites nehru to form an interim government and the first session of the constituent assembly begins nehru was elected as the leader of the congress party and the constituent assembly for first time in india meets before 1946 oh sorry after 1946 by this time you know british prime minister announces on feb 28 1947 that british would leave you know india by june 30 1948 however this announcement now let's come back to the indian independence act 1947 this announcement you know has created huge agitation especially by the muslim league who demanded for the partition of the country so on june 3 1947 the british government made it clear that the constitution that any constitution framed by the constituent assembly of india which was formed in 1946 cannot apply to those parts of the country which were unwilling to accept it indirectly they were ready for partition right on the same day that is june 3 1947 lord mountbatten the vice of india put forth the partition partition plan known as mountbatten plan the plan was accepted by the congress muslim league with an immediate effect you know it has given the enactment of indian independence act 1947 this is what is the story or the background of indian independence act 1947 now let's look out for the important features this act has ended up uh, the british rule in india and declared india as an independent and sovereign state from august 15th 1947 this act provided for partition of india and creation of two independent dominions of india and pakistan with the right to secede from the british commonwealth and also this act actually abolished the office of viceroy and provided for each domain a governor general who would be appointed by the british king on the advice of the dominant cabinet so you will no longer you will have a viceroy you will have a governor general separate for india and pakistan and also this act empowered the constituent assemblies of the two dominions that is pakistan and india to frame and adopt any constitution for their respective nations and to repeal any act of the british parliament means they were given a choice to oh, uh, you know cancel the british parliament acts and to come up with their own acts including indian independence act also this act even empowered the constituent assemblies for both the dominions to legislate their respective territories till the new constitutions are drafted right and also you know abolished the office of secretary of state for india and all the powers were given to the secretary of state for uh, commonwealth affairs right so we we'll know we don't have any secretary of state anymore and also this act proclaimed the lapse of british paramountcy over indian princely states and treaty relations with tribal areas from august 15 1947 also and this act granted freedom to the indian princely states either to join india or pakistan or to remain independent this is the key word put a stamp for this so this is where the people the kings the provinces were given the choice either to join india or pakistan or to stay independent because of this clause only 
you know uh, hyderabad Uh, province wanted to stay initially independent and then want to be part of pakistan but with the initiative of sardar vallabhai patel pa, uh, you know hyderabad province was merged into indian union or else imagine today what would be the situation having hyderabad in the middle of india but represented in pakistan oh my god you just can't even imagine the scenario right so this act even provided for the governance of each domain to function through government of india act 1935 in the census till the new constitution comes into the picture till the new constitution gets implemented the governments need to rule according to the principles as mentioned in government of india act 1935 okay also this act deprived the british monarch of his right to veto bills means no longer british monarch will have the right to stop the bills uh, and uh, the governor general will be given f- the full power to give assent to the bill and also this act designated the governor general of india and the provincial governors as the constitutional heads of the state also and uh, this act dropped the title of emperor of india from the royal titles of king of england so no longer the king of england will be called as emperor of india okay and this act even discontinued the appointment of civil services and reservations of posts by the secretary of state for india the members of the civil services who were appointed before 9 august 15 1947 would continue to enjoy all the benefits that they were entitled to that time with this enactment with the enactment of indian independence act 1947 on the midnight of 14th and 15th august 1947 the british rule came to an end and the power was transferred to the two new independent domains of india and pakistan lord mount batten the last viceroy of india has become the first governor general of the new domain of india he made jawarlal nehru as the first prime minister of indian independent india also we knew that a constituent assembly of india was formed in 1946 which became the parliament of the indian domain now this uh, uh, government which was set up in 1946 is called as independent uh, sorry interim government uh, which would function till the new government comes in or the till the uh, new uh, fresh election comes in after 1950 so we had interim government in 1946 uh, with uh, jawaharlal nehru you know being the head of this uh, uh, interim government or the prime minister of this government and also we had a first cabinet of free india in 1946 which is again headed by jawaharlal nehru as the prime minister Sardar Vallabhbhai Patel as a home minister Rajendra Prasad as food and agriculture minister Maulana Abdul Kalam Azad as education minister John Mathia as a minister for railways and transport R K Shanmugam Chetty as a minister of finance B R Ambedkar as ministry of law Jagivan Ram as a minister of labor Sardar Baldev Singh as minister of defense Rajkumari Amrit Kaur as minister of health C H Baba as minister of commerce Rafi Ahmed Kidwai as Minister of Communication, Dr. Sham Prasad Mukherjee as Ministry of Industries and Supplies, with the VN Gadgil as Ministry for Works, Mines and Power. So this is what is Indian Independence Act 1947. So in this uh, 
you know segment of uh, evolution of indian constitution we tried to understand how indian constitution has evolved in two phases one is crown rule it started from regulating act 1773 till the charter act 1853 uh, and also government of india act 1858 the government of india act independence in independence indian independence act 1947 so that is all about the first chapter of indian constitution i want to make a note to the uh, listeners that ki the the concepts are the content is being taken from lakshmi kant and uh, dd basu and other sources as well so those who for, have a book with you and if you are listening to this podcast along with the book it would be easy for you for Uh, you know understanding and remembering and uh, uh, analyzing the situations so stay tuned to uh, my channel upsc happy hour with me your host archna i'm signing off jai hind and uh, also i would like to be uh, i would like to uh, know your feedback please uh, let me know your feedbacks uh, so that i can work and improve in my next podcast lessons as well thank you jai hind